Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. My next guest joined the New Masculine Conversation first as a listener when he was sent the premiere episode by a shared connection between us. Frank Schwartz is also passionate about transforming the way we as men live and wants to support other men in reclaiming what it means to be a man. He identifies as a father, a husband, and a human. His own life experience, as well as his role as a leader within an organization dedicated to invigorating male community leadership, has led him down a new path when it comes to his relationship to masculinity. Frank reached out to me to celebrate the mission of the New Masculine podcast. And in subsequent connections, I could feel our shared beliefs and passion for the transformation of masculinity in our communities. I'm very excited to celebrate him in return by bringing his stories and voice into our conversation. Thanks for joining me, Frank. Oh, thank you for having me, Travis. That might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said. That was very nice. (laughs) Well, one of the things I'm really liking about these conversations is sort of modeling shared male intimacy like being able yeah. to celebrate each other being able to say what we enjoy about each other and connecting in those kinds of ways no i i appreciate it as well obviously we wouldn't be here so yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah that's really good thank you again yeah is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself before we jump into the conversation at hand you know i i don't know what qualifies as important uh you know and, and i don't know exactly what you're going to get to necessarily but just you know kind of by way of introduction you know i'm a, uh i said father in there just so it's known i have three daughters um that are uh, now well i don't know when this is going to play but their birthdays are in a couple of weeks here so they'll be 16 14 and 10 um little red-headed girls and they are fantastic um i i uh i think that's part of where you know my my i don't know what the right word is but uh, my interaction with masculinity comes you know there's some definite uh some ties there uh, that um uh, that shape how I look at it and, and how I feel about it and maybe, you know, what's different now versus when I grew up, that kind of thing. But, um, so I think that's important to know, uh, been married for, feels like you should know that right off the bat, doesn't it? Uh, 18. <laughs> <laughs> After a certain amount of years, it starts to blend together. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, 18 years. Um, and, uh, my wife is the best and I just, I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic guy and love life and just, I really appreciate what you're trying to do. Uh, out there in the world, man. So I appreciate you having me. Well, thank you so much. 
you are setting off on a brave part of your adventure, having three adolescent girls all at one time. <laughs> there are, I'm sure there are beautiful, beautiful parts of it and some challenging parts. And we, uh, it is uh, for sure. We, my wife and I, made a decision early on just to every stage is our favorite stage, uh, no matter what's happening. Um, and uh, we recognize that they came to us. We're stewards of of that, you know, that relationship and, and being their parents and. And, um, you know, our job is to kind of guide. And so we, we recognize that they're going to be their own people. So we kind of try and stay out of their way as uh, best we can, you know, not, not screw them up. Um, but also, uh, recognize the, the different things that they were sent here with, uh, were on purpose. And so, you know, we try and figure out how do we use the skills and the talents and the natural abilities as well as the natural personality and different things like that, uh, to help them to be the best people they can be, um, you know, in their own world and there instead of saying hey this is how it is you know right so oh, i love that perspective on parenting i love that there's a like a sort of commitment between you and your wife around committing to what this stage is right now and not arguing against reality it shouldn't be like this they should be different like that you actually just commit to this is what it's right. about yeah because i'm not going to lie to you and i don't know if she'll hear this but the the, the 10 year old going on 10 year old who there's a reason we only have three of them. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And she hears this, and I'm never. Yeah. yeah. No, but, uh, but yeah, no. She she's uh, she's a very different girl, you know. And mm -hmm. so it's uh, it's really important on, on our part to, to try and keep a perspective of hey, she was sent here as this very strong-willed, extremely independent, very opinionated young woman, and we think that's going to serve her well later in life. But man. You know, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough mm -hmm. when you're trying to get a room clean around there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I think it'll come up later in our conversation, but I'll be yeah. really interested to hear because I've had another guest um, on the podcast talk about what it's like to raise a teenage boy right now mm. in this phase and how his ideas around masculinity, how they're shaped and changed and how he's teaching them. Oh, and I'd be really interested to hear as this conversation goes on how your fathering of three daughters and how, is, how that impacts yeah. your stories around masculinity. I think that'll come up as we go, though. So, Excellent. Yep. I'm, I'm more curious right now in the very beginning to hear about your stories with masculinity. So when you look back at the stories that you integrated as a child about what it meant to be a man or what masculinity was, can you tell me a little bit about those stories? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of those things get shaped, obviously, from, you know, parental roles, familial roles, and, and different, the men that are in your life. Um, uh, again, I, I hesitate a little bit because, you know, my dad's still alive, so you don't want, <laughs> and if he hears this, I really want to make him upset, right? But uh, my dad is, uh, I think, is what you would maybe, oh, really most of the men uh, that, that were in my family, you know, my, I've got an uncle who's a Navy SEAL. Uh, my grandfather, uh, my, like my mom's dad served in the military. Um, my dad served in the military. Uh, my brother serves in the military. So, you know, which, which typically, you know, has sort of a very, um, hyper masculine sort of, uh, view, I guess, you know, we, we that's how we kind of view them as, oh, they're this you know, very manly, very, you know, get things done. You know, everything has purpose and order and, you know, we're hard driving kind of guys, right? And for me, you know, a lot of it <clears throat> was around achievement uh, and things like that. My dad, you know, very high achiever, was a oral surgeon, one of those kinds of things for us. And I think that uh, some of the things that happened uh, to, you know, in our home as kids, um, just, you know, it was a very, to say that he ran a tight ship was probably a little 
generous, right? You know, it was a, uh, it, it was a very heavy handed, uh, times, um, kind of a thing. Um, and certainly my grandfathers were the same way. My, you know, you see all, basically all the men in your life, that's kind of how they run their homes because with this military background and things like that, that's sort of, especially old school military guys. Yeah, you know, totally. My dad's now 83. Um, and so, you know, way back when, that was very much how it was viewed. I think there's, you know, it's a little bit different today, but, you know, especially back then. And, and really, not just the military, but the, the social norms and, and mores of, of their generations, uh, even were much more of a you know, male dominated, male domineering, um, kind of a, a way of looking at things. And so I think that's where a lot of, you know, my perception and understanding of what a man was supposed to do, you know, how he was supposed to act, um, how he was supposed to relate to women. Um, how he's supposed to relate to other men around him. Um, I, you know, better or worse, and I, none of these things will be judgments. They really will just be observations. But I, I think I could probably count on one hand. I'm 44 now. Um, probably count on one hand the number of times my dad apologized for anything. Um, I'm sure that I've maybe seen him cry once or twice ever, you know. And not that that's bad necessarily, but it, it, it's what shapes the, you know, my, my perception, my understanding as a kid of, of how that ought to go and what masculinity is about and what it's like to be a man. What I hear in all of that, some of the things I pulled out was sort of this heavy handed approach, um, mm -hmm. to sort of control and, um, rigidity, achievement mindset, like that men achieve things, high achieving kind of yes. people and a lack of, uh, willingness to apologize or admit when was wrong or to show a level of vulnerability through emotion. For sure. Oh yeah. No, yeah. That's, I would say that's all very much on point mm. uh, with kind of how it was. So. And so growing up, having those things modeled to you, is that, are those traits that you tried to embody as you were developing into the man that you've become? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you asked it the way you asked it because, uh, I think, Many of us, I know for myself anyway, you know, you, sometimes you just sort of default. You know, you said try to develop. Um, I don't know that I tried to develop, you know, some of these things. They just sort of got baked in there, uh, to some degree. You know what I mean? I, I don't know that I was real conscious or, or cognizant of, of how I was doing things or what I was doing. Um, there was a lot of, uh, well, we'll just, we'll just be very, uh, transparent here, right? Uh, there was a lot of anger. A lot of, uh, rage, you know, I mean, my dad would not, uh, hesitate. And even now, even in his older age, uh, does not hesitate to, uh, you know, <laughs> to threaten people in traffic and, you know, and, and that kind of, I mean, like it's very, I mean, it's, you, you could almost cast it, right? You know, it's a, it's almost stereotypical how, how male, uh, some of those things are. And, um, and so we would, we would see a lot of, uh, a lot of that. Um, sometimes that, that translated into, into physicality and, and some of those kinds of things. But, um, but there always was, you know, sort of this, you know, we're men, we break things. You know, I was a boy scout growing up, um, because that's what you do. That's where you learn how to be manly. Um, you know, all the sports that I did and stuff, I was a wrestler and a water skier. I did those things because that's what I understood, you know, like that's what you do. You go and you, you know, you ring another man's head off. That's how you, you know, that's how this is played, right? You know? Yeah, no, I can, I get that. The, you, there are many ways you weren't trying to yeah, uh, yeah, embody exactly. these or, or bring them into you. I think that that's how most children learn everything right. is that they just observe what's going on around them and there, there's a mimicry of it at times yeah. and it's not a consciousness. It's actually part of 
natural development. Yeah. Um, and then I think there are times where, at least in my experience, where start maybe the junior high, high school time frame when puberty is really starting to kick in and those male hormones are really starting to go there. It's like I really quickly started to recognize that I had to consciously present as those things if I wanted to fit in or belong or um, have success. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a really good point. And, and so, yeah, so what I was kind of saying was, you know, all of that, and that's what's all sort of, you know, baked in or, or programmed in there. And so, if anything, I think I've made the only conscious thing I've done is try to figure out, okay, I, I didn't like that. I didn't appreciate, you know, that as being the way we were raised. Uh, again, not negative against my dad or anything like that, but just I knew that that wasn't where I wanted to go. And so I started kind of immediately when you say, you know, sort of that high school and, and you know, early college, maybe, um, I started really looking at who are the other men, you know, where are the other men in my life? Uh, and for me, um, especially early college, uh, I, you know, affiliated with church and started seeing some of the men there and kind of going, you know, that's okay. That's interesting. I like how they do that. Or I, you know, I knew their kids growing up or something like, see, those kids seem like good kids, you know, like, how do I, how do I model that behavior? How do I, you know, interact with these people? So for me, you know, I, I think I've, if anything, I've tried very hard to figure out how to not um, do a lot of those things just because they were, they were difficult to, to grow up with. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that's a very common pattern that many of us do. We either try to adopt what we have seen because we think that's the way to be successful or the way to actually achieve something. Or we swing it the other way and try to be the opposite of what we learned. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it used to work with me. His, his mom used to always say, you, you either be a good example or be a hideous warning. You know, <laughs> so you, know, you pick, right? So yeah. there, sometimes there were some hideous warnings, but yeah, so that, it, was, it was tough. So tell me more about how your ideals of masculinity have changed over time. You had sort of what was what was modeled to you. You didn't resonate with some of it. You did resonate with other parts of it. How have you chosen to sort of idealize masculinity or what are your values around masculinity now? Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of it shifted, you know, as I became more active in my faith, uh, just you know, I think that's somewhat a natural outcropping and, and uh, not that everyone needs to do that. But um, but for me, uh, as I continued to understand what I believed to be a heavenly father, right? So a, a spiritual father versus an earthly father and try to understand the characteristics of those things. I think that helped some to, to sort of shape and say, oh, maybe, you know, it's not hard, hard charging, you know, everything must get done. We do everything on a schedule. You know, maybe it's a little bit more about, um, sort of this gentleness and, and meekness and love, um, and kindness and, and those kinds of things. Right. And so even, you know, so early college, graduate school, early marriage, all that kind of stuff, even leading up to, you know, the last just four or five years, right. I've, you know, I've thought about those things and worked on those things. Um, and, uh, and then really, uh, kind of the reason I've, I've changed a lot of the way that I feel about this stuff came because, uh, I, I guess I just got permission in my head. I, I joined a group called F3, um, which, uh, is a men's workout group. Um, and at first it was just, you know, while I was, I was overweight and the doctor was like, you need to exercise. So, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, you got to do all that stuff. But after I got into it, I, what I found was it really is a, a it's a male leadership group, but it's a place where, uh, and, and I don't know if, if you've, uh, have the same experience or not, but 
you know, you finish college and you may have a few friends from there and certainly Facebook and things like that have been helpful to sort of remain somewhat connected to, to, you know, these relationships that you had. And some of them, you know, like some of the high school relationships and college relationships that I had, I felt like were uh, very uh, male intimate relationships. You know, there's some of my dear friends that I shared, um, you know, very deep, uh, heavy, dark things, you know, sometimes with and um, that we would spend a lot of time with and that were very caring individuals. And so you, you have that to some degree. And I think some of that's because you're younger and it's a, maybe a little more acceptable, you know, in society or whatever. Uh, but then, you know, you get a little older and you, you get married and you're focused on other things. And pretty soon you look around, and you're like, uh, man, I got some guys I hang out with at church, I guess, you know, we have them over to the house and I don't know, usually I'm, I'm hanging out with them because our wives are friends, you know, <laughs> like, or our kids are friends or, you know, whatever. Right. And so going to F3 started putting me in a position where I was like, Oh my gosh, like I get to have friends. Like I, that's allowable. Like I'm allowed to have friends, you know, and, and what a concept. <laughs> I know. Right. And then not just, I'm allowed to have friends, but, and, and we can talk about it more uh, later if you want. But one of the things that's a, a core principle of, of F3 is that we always end every workout with what we call a circle of trust. Right. And so we spend uh, a few minutes uh, in a circle and guys share what's on their heart. And we've heard everything from, I mean, you name it, my, we've had guys that uh, their kids have committed suicide. Um, we've had guys, you know, they're just struggling in their marriages. Uh, it could be anything, you know, my grandma's sick or, you know, whatever it is, right? And they, they share that, that in that circle, uh, they're a little bit vulnerable and they open themselves to, to allowing other men to hear and see what's happening in their lives. And then pretty soon, I mean, you, you get bonded to those guys. Right. So some of it is the shared suffering of this, you know, very intense boot camp style workout that you go through. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it also is still, it's, it's very much, uh, because we spend that time and it's a very, uh, intentional time to spend and talk about, like, I'll give you an example. A guy this morning, the, the workout that we did is kind of a benchmark workout. So you, you know, every six months we do this just to kind of see, you know, Hey, did you get any faster? Did you get any better? You know, whatever. And this guy says, you know, three years ago, uh, my daughter was born prematurely, um, by like 10 weeks and we weren't really sure if she was going to make it. And as I struggled through that, there were guys that he met in that group, right? That every single Thursday, this guy called him, you know, just, Hey man, I know you're struggling through it. I know it's tough because this guy had a premature son, you know? And so here we are three years later and, and that's, you know, that's a memory that he still has of men who reached out because of this, you know, proximity, this willingness to be vulnerable and those kinds of things. So my, my idea of masculinity shifted a lot. Um, you know, even just five years ago when I, when I kind of affiliated with F3, because, you know, now I look and go, there's not a single, now look, there's some, there are some very physically fit individuals and guys who are, you know, what you would look at and go, you know, that's a manly, you know, right? <laughs> stereotypical <laughs> manly dude. Right. You know, and we give these, we give each other idiot nicknames and, these guys are clearly, you know, again, what you would think of as sort of alpha male, you know, type people. But, you know, well, you get them out there and, and 45 minutes of working out together. And then at the end of that, sharing that time together. And then outside of workouts and outside of that time, finding ways to connect and to really, uh, again, just kind of share that deep part of our hearts and what's going on in our lives. How do we navigate this? I don't know how to raise three daughters. Nobody's told me how to do that. You know, there's no manual for that sort of thing. I can look at guys I think have been successful at doing it. I certainly can look at 
you know, like my parents or other parents where I'm like, maybe I don't want to do that, you know, but ultimately I don't have any idea. So, you know, within that group now, there's a guy who's about 11 years older than I am, also has three daughters, you know, and now I, I can go to him and say, Hey, uh, tell me about this whole dating thing, you know, <laughs> how many heart attacks did you have on the way to, you know, back from the DMV? Like help me with yeah. that one, you know, that kind of thing. So totally. um, my, my, my focus now, whereas I think before, cause I was a very angry young man, you know, and uh, had a lot of anger issues and a lot of uh, uh, situations where, you know, I would punch holes in walls or I would, you know, drive recklessly, you know, out of anger. Um, or, you know, chase people down and threaten them and, you know, whatever it was, like just this very hyper male idiot behavior. But when you realize, you know, all I'm doing is acting out about the fact that I'm afraid of myself, you know, I'm terrified of who I am and I'm terrified of what, what it means to be me, you mm. know? Um, and so I'm acting out against everything around me. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of how you, how you handle yourself. Um, and now I look and go, I really believe to my core, Travis, that masculinity, true masculinity is not anything, has nothing to do with anger. It has nothing to do with rage. It has nothing to do, in fact, it has, I mean, it has very little to do with any behavior to some degree, right? I mean, some of it is just who you are, but I, my belief system is such that I say, you know, we've all been put here uh, one way or another for one reason or another. And um, I think masculinity is is becoming the best male person, however you identify that, right? That you can possibly be given the circumstances that you have, given the, the resources that you have. It is fulfilling the potential that you were put here to fulfill. That's what it is. And the only way I believe that you can get there is by A, uh, trying to exhibit good leadership, right? So getting yourself right first, right? Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with, um, figuring out how to be vulnerable because you can't do it if you believe you're the king of the world. You can't. It's not possible. I tried. <laughs> you gave it your best effort. Huh? I did everything I could, right? I knew I was the king of the world, you know, and I tried. But uh, it's gentleness and it's meekness and it's, uh, it's true, real, authentic love. Um, it's you're lifting another man up and another woman up. It's helpful. It's, it's just decency. You know, I think that's what real honest masculinity is supposed to be. I, I in fact, I just, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, right? I've, I've applied and went through the interview process to give a, a TED talk about this exact topic, you know, and, and I'm kind of talking about the fact that I, I sort of reject the idea of toxic masculinity. I don't think that's a real thing. I think it's something that's been made up. The people that act that way are just plain toxic. Like they're, they're just bad people. Like it doesn't have anything to do with them being masculine. Masculinity is not associated. Yeah. Right? Because us being men is is being what we were put here to be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I there's so much richness in what you just shared, and there's so many layers that I want to touch on. The first part of being much like I was sharing in the introduction, our sense of shared mission, and and like yeah. one of you talking about this F three group that you're a part of is a big part of what I think is important to bring your voice into this because I love some of the undertones of what you guys are doing together, which is doing what many times men are really good at which is being in the body being physical like that we've been practicing since we were young mm -hmm. bringing us bringing us together under those pretenses but then also adding a huge undercurrent and 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 importance around vulnerability sharing supporting one another 
um, and sharing a, a journey with each other, sharing our conversations, sharing our struggles, our weaknesses, our places where we're afraid. I love that that is a huge component of what you guys are doing. No, I, I appreciate that. And that's, uh, I mean, in fact, the, the first, there's five core principles that we operate on. The first is that it's uh, the workout's always free, right? No matter what. And some of that's just to make sure that we lower that barrier to entry. But the, the second core principle uh, that we are very dedicated to uh, is that it is open to all men. And we literally mean all men. And because if you think about it, Travis, if we're going to be a leadership group, which is what we, what we purport ourselves to be, uh, yes, we, we plant, grow, and serve these workouts, right, as, as sort of the, the magnet to, to draw men in and to put them in a, in, in, in a, you know, approximate area to one another so that they can have these interactions, right? Um, so it's, it's under the auspice of the workout, yes. But if we are a leadership group, the only way to be effective as a leader is to actually, genuinely love the men and women that you've been called to serve. Mm. There is no other way to do it. Not, I so appreciate not that, I so appreciate that you guys are putting such value on that because yeah. as a member of a community that is marginalized and that is often has oftentimes learned to be afraid of those pretty hyper masculine spaces or the spaces where men are like huge right. and ripped and stuff. And for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. There's <laughs> right. been real experiences. We've been really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that you guys are having an inclusive um, conversation, inclusive workouts that are, that are about all men and all people who identify yeah. themselves as male. And, yeah, and, and we get that question, you know, even from amongst the guys in our group, you know, they're like, well, what if, uh, you know, what if some, some girl walks up and she says she's a man, can she work out with us? And we're like, well, brother, did she say she was a man? Yes. Well, I don't know what to tell you, you know, like, <laughs> then, then she's a man work out. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah. Like, I, we, we just sort of figure if they're willing to subject themselves to the idiot behavior and the, and the hard workout and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, like, well, you know, we ain't going to beat you up about it, right? You know, yeah. You, you. Well, I yeah. love that. I love that there's a respect for people's ability to right. identify themselves and not have to go based on the perception of others. It, they can identify themselves. And I love that that's part of that. One of the things I want to swing back to was as you were talking about the part of you in the time of your life where you were quite an angry person and how the fear of self was such an important part of that. Can you say more about mm. that time frame in your life? Sure. You know, I think, uh, you know, at those ages, right? So I'm at this point, I guess I'm 16 to call it 20, you know, somewhere in there, right? 21, something like that. You know, I think that I, I felt uh, just as, I guess, just not a good anchor. There was no place that I felt anchored to. Um, some of that was because I didn't really identify, uh, I guess, with the way that my dad, you know, was raising us. I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. Um, it was difficult, you know, or whatever. And so I didn't necessarily feel like I had a close, um, we did a lot of things together. Um, but I don't know that I felt like I had a close emotional relationship, um, with him. Uh, and then, not knowing that it was okay to go to other men even and say, Hey, I'm, you know, raising my hand here. I feel a little lost. I feel a little sad, you know, like whatever, right? Sure. You can go to therapy, but that's, you know, that carries its own set of, you know, stigma, especially at that time in life, you know, when you don't, when you don't know any better, right? That, uh, that that's actually an okay thing. Um, but, uh, and so I think I, I just, 
with with not feeling grounded, with not feeling anchored, with not having any kind of I don't want to say moral compass, because um, I think I was a decent enough person to other people. I wasn't like mean to everybody, you know, but I could not control. I had not prepared myself adequately and I could not control my emotions and they would just spill out all over the place, all over the, you know, all the time. And a lot of that, I think that anger that was in there is because I didn't understand how to be me. You know, I didn't understand how to be a man. I didn't understand how to be uh, Frank Schwartz, you know, and I felt like everything that I did was always being judged or I felt like you know, everything that I did was under scrutiny. And, you know, and some of that was, again, you know, how, how you get raised or just the, the, the society you find yourself in. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think a lot of it really was just this kind of empty sort of feeling of who, who am I and how, how am I supposed to interact with this world around me? You know? And so, yeah, it was just tough. Yeah, I hear that. And it's so interesting that you were saying that you didn't really have control of your anger. And yet, mm. so for so many of us as men, the easiest and the, one of the only acceptable emotions that we're allowed to exhibit is anger. And that's where you turn to. It's what was modeled to you. And it's what you turn to as a way of coping with the unanchoredness, the unknowing yeah. how to be self, the fear of self, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. No, it's very true. In fact, I mean, it's, it's funny because some of it's modeled, you know, in the people around you and some of it's like my dad, we watched war movies growing up. You know, that's, that's what we watched. Those were his favorite kinds. That's what we watched. Or, um, we watched UFC fights, you know, a lot growing up and not this, you know, the way it is now where it's like, Hey, we actually have padded gloves, you know, like there's still like rules. Like he got into it. My dad loved it. And he just, he loved watching violent movies and he would admit that to anybody. Mm. Um, and didn't see that as a problem. And at the time I was like, well, I guess this is what we do, you know? And I think so some of just even the the socialization of, of having that as, you know, these, these are other examples. You don't know them. Um, there are other examples of what, you know, masculine men are supposed to be. Uh, and so we, again, we pound each other's faces in, we shoot at each other, you know, whatever it is. Right. And and look, I'm not, Hey, if you want to, if you're a boxer and that's your thing, mm. brother, you want to pound somebody's face in, you guys want to share a hug after it's all over and done and <laughs> you're not doing it out of anger, you know, it's sport yeah. to you. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Don't hit me. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fragile. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be hit in the face, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I think a lot of it uh, was those kinds of things as well. Yeah. I really, I really hear that. And I, something that, I was, as you were talking, it came up for me was, is that I'm, I was playing that out in my own experiences of what I chose to do as I had also seen anger and I had also experienced men being anger, angry. What I chose to do was the opposite of it. So remember we were talking earlier, like we either do what was modeled to us or we try to go the opposite way. I tried to avoid anger at all costs within side of myself. And I actually now I don't have, didn't have language for it at the time, but I spent a lot of my 20s depressed and melancholy. And instead of allowing myself to feel the anger that was present, that was a bit more fiery and had more energy to it, that didn't feel safe. And I didn't trust that it could be used in a healthy way. And so I funneled it into sadness and depression and almost sort of more victim-y kind of behavior. And so it's interesting to hear your story of like you kind of leaned into the anger for a while and had to pull back and I sort of funneled it down something that felt softer. It was like, 
anger itself and internal despair, but not willing to put it out there into the world. Yeah. Um, I think that's Funny, interesting. We both how knew we it was a terrible idea. Oh, yeah. Right? We both recognize it. This is not how I'm supposed to act. This is not how I'm supposed to be. Correct. But just no way to figure out, like, what do I do? How do I handle this constructively? You know, how do I handle this in a way that, because I think it's, like, anger's a thing. It's you know, a like total you thing. Can't not be angry. You know, like sometimes you get angry. Things happen that cause you to have emotion in your, you know, and you go, hmm, angry, right? I mean, it's, so it's not doesn't make any sense to deny that it's there or try and pretend like it's not there. But it also doesn't make any sense to be like, well, I feel it, so I'm gonna just let it spill it out all over you people. <laughs> you <know>? Right? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Having can't no sense of understanding of its impact on others. And yeah. Oh, I yeah, think. I didn't care. Yeah. And I think that that's so true that we can't avoid it. We can't ignore it. And I think that's a common misconception in a conversation like I'm having with people is, is that, oh, we just have to be these, um, kumbaya kind of men that never feel angry and then are never frustrated. And I just, uh, that doesn't feel true to me. And I actually just think that many of us haven't had any models of what healthy anger is. We've had this sort of destructive tear things apart. Um, scorch the earth around us kind of anger. We haven't yeah. seen it used in ways that can actually be constructive and that can actually sure. grow things and that can actually be the birthplace of passion and the passion to change something that's not working. Well, you know, it's funny just you're talking about that. You, know, you think of the leadership that we see uh, in our world right now, in our country, and, and you know, I'm not, <laughs> we're not here to talk politics, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> But, uh, you see a lot of those kinds of things. You see this, you know, the angry tweet storms that happen, uh, from any number of, whether that's political leaders or whether that's business leaders or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, right? That's the way that we let everyone know that we're in charge. You know, we're, we're the powerful animal here, uh, is by being angry and by, you know, uh, beating everything else down around us and stuff. Like it's, it's so common anymore that it's almost, as you said, it really is almost an expectation that that's, well, that's, of course, that's how you would be. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not here to have a political conversation either, but I also think it's really important to acknowledge part of why I'm starting this podcast. There is a lot of energy out there in the universe right now and in our country around that type of anger, that kind of destructive mm -hmm. anger, that type of power, taking power from you and keeping it for myself kind of anger that's present. And so it's not about necessarily political parties, but it is about there's this culture around that that's acceptable. Yeah. And when you were talking earlier about sort of that not prescribing to the language of toxic masculinity, I don't really use it very often either because I think it automatically puts people on the defensive and it auto automatically disconnects the ability to have a conversation with another man because there's already a judgment and a crit criticism in there. Yeah. But there are places where we have... Be, where it's become acceptable for men to act in certain ways. And I think that's the label that's being used out there. And I'm trying to have conversations that are a little, have a little bit more psychological safety in it for us as men to be able to have conversations about what's not working. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're pointing out is that in some ways we've said it's okay as a culture for this kind of behavior to happen. And nobody actually feels safe with it or feels good with it. No. And yet we're saying yes to it anyways. Right. It's just like when we were kids, you know, and you're saying I retreated into myself, not healthy. I outburst, not healthy. But we all, I mean, everyone recognizes this is a terrible idea. I don't really honestly believe that any person who acts the way that, you know, that we sort of associate right now with this explosive anger or whatever it may be, right? And, and 
as we talked about in our leadership, in our country, in our businesses, and, and whatever. I don't think, um, and, and this probably is a somewhat unpopular opinion amongst someone, but hey, isn't every opinion the opposite of someone's? I don't know, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Someone hates this. Someone's going to hate course. this. Um, but uh, I don't believe that those people are bad people. I don't believe that they want to act the way they are acting. I think they have been socialized to do it. I think they have learned that that's adaptive to keep their their little person inside safe, you know, from criticism or from ridicule or from fear or from whatever it may be, right? So we, we work very hard to put up any number of walls. And for me, it really was. It was a lot of emotional walls and a lot, you know, no one, everyone knew uh, that Frank was nice to a point. And then as soon as you hit that limit, you're dead. You know, like he would, he would just, whether it was through sarcasm or through just you know, negative, whatever, or yelling or screaming or, or physical, I never hit a person. Um, but, uh, you know, we, you know, throw things around or slam doors, you know, or whatever, right? You knew that was, that was how it was going to be because we've been pushed past this point, right? So I don't really believe that even, uh, at the highest levels, I don't think those guys want to be that. I think they've been trained to be that way. They train themselves to be that way. And at this point, they may be too far gone. I don't know. I like to think no. I think any man can change if he really wants to. Some are going to have a lot more work to do than others. I but, agree. I think yeah. that I think there are there are plenty of men that are down that road so far that I don't know that I feel safe enough or comfortable enough being the one to approach creating change there. So there's certain people that I don't know that I have any influence over, but I do at my core believe that an evolution is happening, can happen and that growth can happen. And I think what you're pointing out is so astute around, it's not that people want to act in ways that are harmful to others or that hurt others. It's, it's a coping strategy. And, and in many ways we as a, as a male culture have become very ego driven and you, you were saying sort of we'll come up with any protective strategy or wall to protect that little ego. And in many ways, our egos are so delicate because we've spent so much time trying to avoid those feelings. And so there's not that resilience and that ability to take a hit to the ego and recognize that that doesn't mean I'm worthless and right. don't have value. It means that something happened that, that triggered me. Yeah. I mean, and, and we... The, the thing I tell my kids all the time that they get sick of hearing, um, which is a lot of things, but uh, that was a joke. Uh, but the, the things, <laughs> one of the things they get to they get to hear all the time is, you know, events are neutral. You know, an event is just an event. It just is a thing that happened, and you have to you have to put the value on that one way or the other, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing or a scary thing or you know or upsetting thing. And actually, in you know some of the research that's out there, right uh, when I was in graduate school, we learned about that, uh, you know. Your brain fires in much the same way, uh, whether you are terrified, uh, whether you're exhilarated, whether you're, you know, happy or excited. I mean, a lot of the same things are happening on a, on a chemical and electrical level in your brain. And really a lot of what happens is that context you put around it, right? And so, uh, what happens, I think, is we feel something. We don't have the proper context or the proper understanding of what is happening. Uh, and so then we, we turn around and just act poorly, you know, because we just don't know another thing to do. And, uh, and so that's part of why I think we act out in, in weird ways. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. That's what I do in my coaching work with people is recognizing that all of our emotions and our feelings 
are associated with a set of chemical reactions and nerve firings that are going on in the body. There's a biological process that's playing out that, and there's a cluster of symptoms associated with it that then we label as anger, fear, anxiety, sadness. And so one of the things I invite people into is actually developing a relationship with the physical sensations that they're calling. It's like Mm. diving into the body's reaction and sort of putting awareness on all of the feeling states that are going on, not the emotional feeling states, Mm -hmm. but the physical feeling states. What does anxiety feel like in your body? Tell me about it. Where does it exist? And sometimes as somebody drops into the body and tries to acknowledge that, it puts enough space between them and the react reactionary behavior for them to actually sort like pull in more information about what's really going on for them and to have a deeper relationship to that so that it's not just cause effect, cause effect, cause effect and like, and and never an analysis or never a thoughtful exploration of why is this triggering me? Why is this putting me into this place? What are my patterns around this? Because I don't have control over, I can, I don't have control over people triggering me. What I do have doing behaviors that could trigger me, I do have control over my triggers if I'm willing to develop a relationship to sure. them. Sure. But, you know, I think, um, to your to your point earlier of ego, I think that's where a lot of this gets tripped up um, and where we kind of uh, short circuit or, or obstruct the process, right? If you assume that you're right all the time, you know, and that's a very egotistical type of a trait, right? I think that uh, you then assume that means my feelings are also infallible. Uh, and so therefore, if I feel angry, that must be the right thing. And so I'm going to act angry because that's how I feel. And that is a very, to your point, a very reactionary uh, kind of a, a way to live. And that's just, I mean, that's not going to get you anywhere. It just really isn't. I mean, it's just going to put you further and further down this this hole of thinking you're the king of the world thinking that the world's out to get you, you know, being very protective and very fearful and uh, just angry and, you know, whatever those negative emotions are that, that kind of live way down deep in there. That's so interesting. I, I like I, the, the picture that you painted with the, I'm the king of the world and yet everyone's coming to get me. There's like this like empowerment thing, but then this complete fear and clenching down right afterwards that it's like, if I have all this power, then people are coming for me. Right. And, and it's that dissonance, I think, too, of, of these, you know, these disparate thoughts that is part of what causes, you know, this tension and anxiety in, inside of us. And so for me, I think that um, the thing that has helped me the most to, to, to get out of that, that space uh, in my head and to get out of that, those feelings uh, that I had really has been uh, what I would kind of refer to as submission and surrender. You know, and, and for me, it's uh, it's God. Um, for another person, it might be you know the universe or the just the connectedness between people. Even you know, I, whatever that greater thing is that that a person submits to and and, and is willing to sacrifice for. Mm. You know, um, and as I continue to to find a place to submit myself and to as as it's been put in, in literature, C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read any of that, but um, he talks about death of self, you know, and mm. um, I put my own desires aside. I, and that's another F3 thing, right? We, we talk about living third, you know, you put uh, spiritual being, you know, whatever that, again, for me, God, for whoever it's, whatever it is, but putting, putting that first, 
putting every everyone else, <laughs> you know, second. And there's a particular order how we, we believe that ought to go, starting with your uh, your spouse uh, or significant other, uh, going to kids if you have them, then to the you know the, the people that are are most proximate to you, um, and, and so on, right? But uh, you got you you put that higher power first, everyone else second, and then you you live third. That's that's your job is to mm-hmm. is to figure out how to be humble and submissive. Um, and that is very, I know, as very culturally anti-masculine, right? We're supposed to be in charge. Yeah. We're supposed to be the dominant person. You know, we are alphas, you know, uh, in our world. And I'm here to tell you, brother, I tried it. I tried it. Travis, I used to say things like, uh, this was, you know, seven, eight years ago or whatever in, in my business that, uh, you know, between the hours of eight and six, I'm a trained killer. I will stand on your neck and you will give me money. Hmm. That's how I, that, that is how I believed I was supposed to interact with the world. And that's what I did. And I, we made a fair amount of money. You know, we did okay, uh, for a long time. And then I, my belief is that, uh, eventually that catches up with you. Yeah. And it, it all came, you know, kind of came crashing down around us. And I know when I heard him talk about that, but, um, but it was that ego and that hyper, again, it's, it's a way of being that I thought was masculine and manly and supposed to be the way that I am, you know, cause you start looking at, oh, okay, well, I recognize I'm not supposed to be, you know, I don't, I don't like this anger thing. I don't like controlling others or whatever, but I sure do like watching these guys that are successful, hmm. you know, as the world would, would put it. You know, these yeah, guys one, have a lot of money. One form of success, which is financial yes. success. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you sharing that, that that in many ways in order to line up with that version of success that was touted of what men how men are successful that in many ways you had to adopt sort of a a pretty violent outlook on things even if it wasn't physically violent to others yeah, it was, that language it's it's yeah. I'm, I'm gonna stand on your throat like that's right? pretty I'm violent. a trained killer what yeah. in the world are you talking about right like who is this person you know <laughs> but that's that's what i said do not bother me between the hours of eight and six, brother, because I will eat you alive. You know, like you, because I, I am here to, to dominate the competition, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I mean, just garbage yeah. uh, when you look at it. Was it your faith that helped bring you out of that? Is it leaning into that piece? Is that what you were saying? Or what were the key moments that brought you out of that pretty violent? Uh, yeah. So I think ultimately that is what did it? I didn't recognize it. I thought I was doing the right things. In fact, I thought I was complying with what I believed to be God's will for me. Mm, interesting. Because I thought, well, of course he would want me to be wildly successful because then I can use all that money to, to, you know, to bless his children. Right. Does that sound like anyone that you're, you know, like, have you ever watched a televangelist show? You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say you have it wrong. Cause look, I'm not them. Maybe that is what God wants for them, but I'll tell you, it didn't work for me. You know, I can tell you that for sure, right? I, I believed that in my heart. And when I reached a certain point, I, I said, well, all right, God, clearly I've got this nailed. So, uh, you know, what do you got next for me? Like, I'm just going to keep building this thing and, and, you know, crushing the world and dominating everything because, I'm, you know, God loves winners, I guess. I, I don't know. I guess that's what I thought, you know. Mm. Um, and it's embarrassing to say because I was a grown man. You know, I, I, I feel like I should have known better. Uh, at that stage of my life, even, but I think I was clouded uh, very much by my own ego and my own desire to prove to myself, prove to my dad, prove to the world that I was something, that I was worthy, that I was worth something. 
Yeah. And, and the realization that comes after, you know, some years of struggle and some pretty, you know, depressing and tough times, you know, the last, and I'm talking listen just over the last five years, right? Mm. Uh, coming out the other side of this and going, Oh, it, it's actually not that. In fact, if anything, it's almost the opposite of that. If you put anything above higher power, everyone else, and then you, like, if you, if you screw that order up at all, it's, it's, um, my, my feeling and my belief is, is that, that I put myself in a very precarious place, uh, emotionally, socially, and other ways, um, by, by mixing up the order, you know, by putting, putting myself before any of those other things. Yeah. I think you were living what I think a lot of men are doing, which is trying to earn value in what they do and in their work and in the provider role. Yeah. And yet how that leaves out the complete being, the, the, the being that is connected to something beyond you, the being in your case that in your belief system that is connected with God that was brought here by God. It's only the doer, not the human right. being. Right. And I think that's a huge <laughs> challenge. And I think that it's hard to see beyond that even as an adult because it's what was modeled to us. We don't, act, we've actually never really been given another opportunity to see another way of doing it. Right. I mean, that's, that is what is modeled for us in our society 100%, male, mm-hmm. female, or otherwise. That is, that is what we look at. And I feel like there's particular uh, pressure on uh, men a lot of times, particularly if they are the breadwinner in their home, right? There's a lot of pressure to say, well, you're supposed to succeed. And this, this is one of the things I love about F3. Uh, number one, when we look at our, we, what we feel is what we call relational rhythm, the proper relational rhythm, because to say that it's balanced doesn't make a lot of sense because you can't really put all these things on one side and one on the other. You know, like work-life balance is, is a strange, I think, misnomer. But, um, but when we look at the rhythm that we should have with our relationships, work actually is the outermost ring of, of the target to us. Right. We look and say, again, significant other, uh, in, in my case, my wife, um, you know, in other case, my, you know, somebody's husband or, or, you know, partner or whatever it might be, right? So that significant other is the most important relationship that you have. And you focus on that first and making that work first to make sure that that is accelerating in a way, uh, that you both are on board with, right? And then you go a ring out and it's your kids, a ring out, people around you, a ring out, you know, some sort of mentoring relationship. And then, Way out on the outside, that's when you start uh, thinking about, you know, talking about work and thinking about, you know, the the sustaining relationship, right? These others are are transformative and sacrificial, and they and they're, you know, <laughs> those are the words we use to describe these relationships, kind of in this inner inner part of this target that we we talk about a lot is our concentrica is the the made up word that we have for it. <laughs> we have a lot of made up words. Concentrica. Okay. Yes. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of made up words. Um, but you know, it's a series of concentric circles, right? And so if you think about it, that as a target, you know, you don't have many, have no idea how many arrows you have left in your quiver at any given time in terms of energy or time or those kinds of things, whatever resources you have. And so you ought to be shooting as many of those arrows toward the center of that target as possible hmm. because that's the relationship that's going to make the most difference for you in the long term. Right? Hmm. That committed, long-term relationship, whatever it may be, is where you need to spend your energy. Then you, you know, you look out past that and, and so on and so on. Work being the one that should get the least of your good energy. You know, you, you don't need to hit that one as much. Yeah. But we do it completely backwards, especially as men. Totally. <laughs> yeah, we're taught to put it all the way to the thing, the thing that is, should be maybe on the outside. Right. 
Yeah. So something I really appreciate about as I'm listening to you talk is the way in which you own what's true for you or what's important to you in your life, but you also leave space for others to have a different experience. I hear that in the way you talk about your faith, when you talk mm-hmm. about God, when you talk about faith, you also then follow it with, and and other people can see it differently. It can be the universe. It can be the interconnectedness. It can be yeah. anything that your belief in what you believe is not denigrated or taken. There's no power taken away from it by acknowledging that others can view it differently. I also sure. heard that in you, and you were talking about the concentric rings and your wife being at the center, but then for other men, it can be their husbands or their partner or whatever that you keep leaving space for the experience of others, even in the things that you believe the most and that are a part of your faith, that there's not a scarcity model within you around like there's only one way of believing. And if you don't believe it this way, then, then there's failure. It's like that you leave so much space for others to have their belief systems. And I really value that. And I think it's such an important thing that, I want to see men doing more in the world of is believe what you believe, believe in it wholeheartedly, live it, all of that stuff, but also leave room for others to believe the way they believe. Now, look, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I believe that. And I think I believed it intellectually, you know, most of my life and I certainly gave good lip service to it. Right. Um, but being an F3 and and particularly associating and I'm going to drop his name and plug him, right. (laughs) Associating with my friend, Dave Redding. Um, who's the guy who's the founder of F3. Um, he, he believes that. Now he has a very, very specific, uh, and some would say probably narrow worldview. But that, but he also, the way that he always says it is, I have strong opinions loosely held. <laughs> right? Love that. You know, so he can easily be convinced, uh, and persuaded. Um, now understand he's a very, very skilled commercial litigator, so it's pretty tough to persuade him. But it is possible. <laughs> it is he's, possible. He's open to it. It's not yes, likely, he is open, to, open it. to it. Yeah. But I, I think uh, just being an F3 and, and learning from him as well has shaped a lot of how I look at this because I think I, again, again from a lip service perspective, <clears throat> was more than willing to say, oh, sure. No, I, I love all people. You know? Oh, no, I, I accept gay men. Sure. That's, that's no problem. I, I get all that. I, I've got gay friends. That's always my favorite. Like somehow that, oh. Well, I can't be homophobic. I've got yeah, one gay exactly. friend. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you kind of go, okay. I mean, I, I appreciate that, but th- you know, does, that, does that really mean you accept them? You really accept who they are and what they believe, that it is completely and maybe polar opposite of what you believe. And you guys exist in the same space together. Yeah. Tolerance and acceptance honestly. are very different things. Very different. Very different. I'm, and I'm not really interested in tolerance. Yeah, me neither. You know, I don't. No, I'm serious. Like, I, I know it sounds weird, but like, um, I don't need your tolerance. You know, I've been patronized my whole life by people better than you. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I find that's what it is. I find it to be a very uh, empty and, and kind of false way of of approaching people. Mm. You know, either we accept them and really honestly love them and, and identify them and accept them as again my belief system, but uh, as legitimate brothers and sisters. Of, of a single creator in my, in, you know, again, in my case, but I don't care how you get there. The fact is, and the science backs it up, we are connected. You know, we do have common ancestry, uh, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, you know, like, so you go back far enough and, and Travis, we're related in some way, right? Yeah. You're, and there's, there's science to back up that, that particles that were created from one thing yeah. 
that as they separate, they still have an entanglement, even across huge, vast amounts of spaces. There's so much science to back up our interconnectedness. Right. And that violence that we put on others always comes back to us. It, I believe that it comes from a, a very deep misunderstanding of who we are for real and where we fit in the universe. We, we call it in F3, we call it the answers to the what, what, you know, what am I doing here? You know, what happens to me after I, I die? And what does that mean about how I ought to live here? You know, while I'm here, right? And if, and I don't care what those answers are for you, you know, it's not interesting to me uh, to any great degree. Uh, I'm interested that you feel like you have answers to those questions because I, I believe that if you really have a sense of where you came from, what you're doing here, and, and what you, what legacy you leave after this, essentially, right? So what happens after I die? Well, a lot of people might show up in a room and they may or may not sing some songs and I don't know who, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but what did I leave behind? And, and in terms of my legacy for my kids, uh, for the, for the men and the women around me, um, you know, that kind of a thing. Like when you can answer those questions with some, some comfort and confidence, I think that's when, um, when you're on track. Yeah. Well, I want to just thank you for being a part of an organization and for being a leader in an organization that is really valuing sort of that male intimacy piece that, yeah. that, that brings men together to share, to be vulnerable, to, because it sounds to me like that's been a really transformative part of your life is to bounce ideas off of other people. And it's actually where mm. you've been able to find that place of moving from tolerance to acceptance and really loving people. And yep. I think that is so needed at this time with men is to actually genuinely love people rather than be at war with people in every interaction. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, uh, and that's, again, that's one of the things that I really value and love, uh, about what we're trying to do. Um, when, when Dave started this thing, he didn't go out thinking, you know, all right, I know how men are supposed to be and I'm going to prescribe to all of them exactly what to do and how to do it. You know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was, a, I know I'm miserable and I have discovered through, you know, through his military experience, through his own personal experience, through his litigation experience, you know, he discovered and said, and really through his personal relationship with, with God, um, he really, you know, honed in on here are the things. It's very stoic in nature. Like if you go back and read some, you know, <laughs> Like Marcus Aurelius, some of those kinds of things. You're like, hmm, like that sounds familiar, right? <laughs> you know, so it's got it's got a little of that you know. Just these are just fantastic uh, principles for how to live life in a, a loving, open, accepting way. Um, and and what he realized, because he was in a similar fashion, I think of you know, in fact, he had it written on a piece of paper. And I don't think I'm doing him any uh, injustice by sharing this because I think he would. He had it written on a piece of paper in his wallet. You know, my job is to uh, obtain, maintain power and procreate as often as possible. <laughs> that was his life mission, you know? <laughs> and he looks back now and goes, you know, how lost he was and how afraid he was uh, of himself mm. and of what could be done and, and, you know, what should be done for, for men and for people. And so his, you know, his focus really became this helping and unlocking men to the possibility that there's more, you know, that there, there's a better way to live that you don't, you don't have to, uh, well, first of all, you don't have to have permission, uh, to be a man. You don't need permission to act nice. You know, you don't need 
it's okay. Like, here's all the permission you could possibly want here. I give it to you right now. Boom. Right. I'll hand it right over, you know, because all the things that we have believed, the stories that we've told ourselves, what he refers to as goo nation, um, you know, this gooey, sticky, everyone has to be, you know, we, we all have to be perfectly nice to one another, which really means we actually just sit in contempt of one another because we're not actually accepting. It's all tolerance. Yeah. We're know, not actually a, real or authentic with each other. Right. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's perverted, you know, mm-hmm. from, from what actual love is, you know, uh, we're not loving anyone by, uh, by treating them in that sort of patronizing way. Right. And, um, and so that's really the, the, the basis of, of kind of the foundational stuff of what we're trying to work with. Um, mm-hmm. because we've seen it. Travis, I wish I could tell you, we have seen it transform, not just in our own personal lives, but I watch it in the lives of, you know, the, the thousands and thousands of men who come uh, to the workouts and spend the time. I mean, these guys, men who before would have acted just like me, angry, you know, lashing out, all that kind of stuff because we're stuck in our little bubble and we're unhappy about life. We didn't like the way our life turned out. You know, we're afraid of ourselves, whatever the things might be. These guys now, they spend inordinate amounts of time and money figuring out ways to serve their communities better. And that's everything from, you know, they might do food drives, you know, Low-hanging fruit, that's pretty easy. Uh, to, um, you know, there's some guys in Greensboro that are trying to build a playground in a, in a, uh, less fortunate neighborhood, uh, at an elementary school there. Why? Because they work out at that elementary school and they spent time there and they go, you know what? This is a forgotten neighborhood. It's a historic neighborhood in Greensboro and we're tired of it being forgotten. We're tired of it being left behind and we're going to do something about it. And that's what they do. And so they're spending their time and their money to, to raise funds and, and awareness and all that kind of stuff to build a playground on. And we're going to take that neighborhood back. You know, we're going to revitalize it. We're going to work with those people that live there to help them to, you know, perpetuate this idea that, Hey, we're not forgotten. We don't have to be forgotten. You know, I mean, and all, all the way up to there's, there's talk right now uh, of a guy who, you know, we started to work out at a homeless shelter, started to work out at a, a, a drug treatment facility and, you know, residential uh, facility, right? They started workouts there and now they're looking at, you know, these guys do okay while they're in the program. And then as soon as they get out, they end up relapsing, which is the story all the, you know, they're like, you know, what we need to do is we need to create community for that someplace safe in between getting out of here and getting into, you know, more mainstream uh, society, right? So they're talking about buying uh, a hotel and providing it at low cost to those residents and having guys to mentor the men that are there to help them be accountable, to help them, you know, stay away from the dangerous things that they've been involved in. I mean, like these are not things that normal guys do sitting around, you know, on a Friday night drinking beer, watching the game. They're like, you know what we ought to do, Bob is, you know, like that doesn't happen. Right. The reason that it happens is not because we're so smart. It's not because we have some amazing formula. It's because we, we figured out a way stumbled on it really i mean dave had the same objective when he started the workout as i had joining the workout and that was i don't want to be fat anymore you know and that that was the start you know but it, that vision of what it became where guys now we put them in proximity to one another we let them be vulnerable with one another and boom amazing things happen after yeah. that yeah you know? it's it's that sense of community and the the desire to finally improve your community and to be in to like actually recognize that you are a, a vital part of it and to make a, mm-hmm. a, a difference within it 
is so important. And I think it's so in alignment with what I'm doing with this podcast is bring men together. Let's tell our stories. Let's be vulnerable. And let's let that inspire us to change things and to get, bring more men together that are ready to do those kinds of things so that it does become more the normal. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, this is the one that I think really, and this happened just a, a few months ago, um, that uh, really kind of hit home for me is, and that's why I, when I read what you were doing and, and I think you're doing it and I think this is the right thing to do. I think it's bringing these, these, ideas and thoughts and people more proximate to one another through a podcast, right? To share these ideas and believe in each other. Because I look, I really want the best thing in the world for everybody. That is what I mean, you know what used to piss me off when people did well? I hated that. Especially if it was someone that was my competition. I hate yeah. oh it make me so mad. I get so frustrated like, well why can't I have it? You know, why did mm -hmm. they get the business? I didn't, you know? And now I I one hundred percent I look around and go I, I hope like heck you get uh, rich or famous or whatever it is you're shooting for. Cause I just know what peace feels like now. Yeah. And that's what I really want for these guys. So real quick story just to kind of point it all up is I'm driving down the road. I see somebody stopped on the side of the road, right? So I pull over to try and help. I just see what's wrong, right? Could be anything. And it's a, uh, African-American woman. Um, her, Looked like maybe her mother and then her daughter in the, in the backseat, right? And I get out of the truck and I start to walk back to say, Hey, you guys need some help. And you know, you never know how a person feels like, Oh, here's a man approaching our car. Like this may go poorly. It may go well. I don't know. And I'm about three quarters of the way back to the car and the woman on the, in the passenger side, the younger woman hops out of the car and she goes, Oh, thank goodness. And I said, what's that? And she says, Travis, she says, I saw your F3 sticker and I knew I would be safe and I knew that you would help. And it hit me and I was like, you know what? What if every time a man got out of a car, that was the thought they had? What about that? I'm all about that. Right? <laughs> I'm I mean, all about that creating that. Yeah. Because so that's, that's, a, that's my experience is I actually do have a lot of women in my life and I if I listen to them and if I listen to my own feelings, there's very few of us actually feel very safe with each other as men or, and many of the women, if they're the single woman in a room full of men, they don't really feel very safe. No. And so there's that immediate pullback, which is, I think based on real life experiences that have taught, taught us it's not safe. And yeah. yet let's be a part of the transformation of masculinity so that it becomes the, that's the, it's not the norm to assume lack of safety. It's actually the the outliers that yeah. are creating that. But that there's a, a whole group of us and a majority of us that are those safe helpers. Yeah, because I agree with you. I think I think they're the outliers now. I really do. I think most of us, if we weren't so scared of something, we would be that way. We would act that way. You know. So man, I I agree with you. Well, it's what I'm finding as I'm doing this podcast is like the people that are coming to this and how many people are excited about it and how many men are just willing to say yes to this adventure with me. I, I'm actually surprised. I thought I'd have a little bit more challenge finding men to that want to have this kind of conversation and participate in this way. And yet I'm pleasantly surprised that there's actually more of us out there. We're just feeling like islands out there disconnected. And how do mm -hmm. we, and this is about connecting us and letting us know that we're not alone and that there are a lot of us and that strength in numbers, we can create a big change together. 
No, I, I love it, man. I, I sincerely, I really do. And, yeah. um, and I really appreciate you uh, letting me talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you were here. It, as a way of just kind of closing our conversation, is there one piece of advice that you would give men moving forward or something you'd like to leave them with that's sort of a synthesizing of what we've talked about? You know, I think uh, one piece of advice or one kind of final thought, I guess, would be, and and at the risk of having it sound almost, uh, you know, cheesy, right? Um, but I think it would be, uh, number one, no matter how you feel, you're not the king of the world. You're just not. Number two, that's okay. And number three, um, from my faith perspective, I believe there is a king of the world, right? And again, so wherever you put that on your, you know, if you're a, uh, as my friend Dave says, if you're a Bob Dylan spiritualist, you know, and you think the answer is blowing in the wind, then brother, then the wind is the king of the world, whatever that might be. But, uh, but as you can find a way to let your ego go, don't be afraid of yourself, man. Just don't be afraid of yourself. Open up to your brother. It's going to be okay. I guarantee it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think something that you're saying that is that keeps coming up as a theme is find something of faith outside of yourself or outside mm -hmm. of your ego. Find something outside of you to have faith in that that make that inspires you, that wants makes you want to be a better person, that want makes you want to do better, and that right there will teach you a lot. Amen. I agree. Yeah, and and you know what, guys, if all it is for right now is Travis's podcast, and that's the most hope you can find in the world, okay. We can start there, yeah, right? Let's start yeah, there. Yeah, we can start there. Sure. I'm Nothing not happy about that. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is, you know, sincerely, like whatever that thing is. I, I agree, man. Thank you. Yeah, don't deify me, but th this conversation, no, no. but this conversation and and faith in that can be and the the what we're doing at this mission is totally. I'm all about that. So, if people want to connect with you and you want, or want to find out more about F3, um, share with people how they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the so if 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 anything I said about F3 sounded vaguely interesting, um, then uh, you can find us online at www.f3nation.com. I guess you don't need the www, but I still say it because I'm old. Um, <laughs> F3, <laughs> just realized that as it was coming out. I was like, nobody says that anymore. HTTP. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? So go to f3nation.com. Um, you can click on, you know, find a workout near me. And... Uh, in 30 something different states, there's about 2,000 different workouts happening on any given day, um, in, uh, uh, you know, throughout the, the lower 48, right? Um, and so go, go take a look and, and find one in your area. And just the cool thing about this is it's free, you know, there's no dues, there's no nothing. You just show up and uh, they'll welcome you in and they'll, you'll go, you know, you'll get an idiot nickname like the rest of us have and, <laughs> you know, and just kind of, kind of join the, join the crowd. So. Um, so that's, that's the way to learn about F3. If you want to contact me directly, uh, for any reason, uh, I, I too am, am uh, kind of launching a, a coaching and consulting business as well around leadership and things like that. It's called G3L, um, uh, which stands for get right, live right, lead right, and leave right. So it's, uh, we're trying to help build, uh, help leaders learn how to build legacy, you know, and, and, uh, and leave something behind them that means something. Um, and so if you want to get in touch with me that way, you can, you know, you can just email me at frank at g3l.com. Uh, that's a, an easy way to do that as well. Mm. Yeah. And I, I hope that, uh, you are able to get through and do a, a TED talk like you were saying you submitted. I, so. I know. It'd be exciting. 
I just found a uh, um, a TED talk on a, another male that's an actor that's talking about masculinity that I posted on my Facebook because I'm super excited about. And I'll send it to you. Yeah, I was saying, um, but I, su- somebody sent me one. It may be the same one. I don't know, but yeah, I was like, see, yeah, Travis gets it's it. It's <laughs> inspiring that there are men out there doing this and using yeah. their power to create change like that. Um, but I really do hope that that works out for you and that you're able to get on that platform. And if Thank it's you. not the right platform, the next one will be the right one for you. Yeah, I'm not worried. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with me, you can connect with me on my Instagram at Travers03. You can email me at TravisStock03 at gmail.com or you can go to my website at TravisStock.com. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, for bringing your personal stories, but also the learning and the wisdom that's held in the organization that you're participating in. Thanks so much for being a part of male intimacy and vulnerability. I think that's super transformative in this world. 